Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. My guest today is someone who specializes in being real. Have you ever asked yourself, hmm, are all these work hours worth it? How much do I really love this? Is this what I was meant to be doing with my life? On paper, after time in corporate America, and probably perhaps one of the least likely to earn a doctorate in higher education, and then doing just that, my friend Paul Corona joins us today. He is on faculty at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, a clinical professor of leadership. Get this, teaching and coaching ratings of 96 out of 100. Come on, Paul, where's that last four? Uh, he founded the award-winning Lee's Three Habits System, which we're excited to hear about. And he's the author of The Wisdom of Walk-Ons, Seven Winning Strategies for College, Business, and Life. He speaks from experience as he helps his students and clients alike to lead themselves to find purpose and meaning in life. We are in for a treat today, my friends. Paul, welcome. Hi, Molly. It's great to be with you and all your listeners. Yeah, we have um, a, a fun pass of how we met, and maybe we can share a little bit about our very fun times together before we get into uh, more about you. Yeah, that sounds great. Take it away. Well, let's see. We're both part of this um, very, um, gosh, we're both grateful to be part of this great, I call it coaching club with Marshall Goldsmith. Um, I recall we've been friends for a while, but we had a bonding moment in a London bar when we were allowed to go to bars. <laughs> Dark, <laughs> late one night with another one of our colleagues, Fiona, who has joined me on the show. Um, do you remember that? That was super fun. I do. I remember that London talk, which was so real. I mean, you talk about being who you really are. And uh, it was great to have that sort of bonding. And I also remember when we first met as part of the Marshall Goldsmith group in New York, I just saw you and listened to you talk to some others. And I said, you know, this is a really cool person. I hope I get to know her. And by the end of the night, we met and headed off, and, you know, the rest is history. And unfortunately, at least for me, we don't get to see each other very frequently live. So now we have to do it on your national radio show. So this is a treat just to be together this way. Yes. I really, I mean, just, I'm giggly about it because it's super fun. Um, okay, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. So let's, um, you and I have talked about how in business, um, and I'm, I'm sure listeners can appreciate this. You know, everyone has these glossy, super high achievement resumes or trying to, you know, puff it up. Um, and, you know, understandably, uh, yet we know underpinning all of the, you know, high fives, major achievement, top this, top that. You know, it's, it's never a story of roses. Um, and before we get into the many ways that you are actually helping others, I would really be grateful if you'd shared a bit of your own story. Um, I know you talked to students about it. It's not perhaps your most typical career journey. Yeah, sure. Uh, and, and I like how you frame this up. You know, our bios and our resumes and our applications all present us in the greatest possible light, and it's all true stuff. And what I like to help people do is figure out not what they are, which is this highly accomplished person with a great track record, but who they are as people, the authentic you. And I call this your behind the bio story. So it's, it's another version of the truth. It's one that's more candid. It's one that shows some vulnerability and it tells, uh, it tells people, you know, what formed you, who formed you when. So if, if you want, I can tell that. Is that where you're, 
interested in going right now? Uh, Yes, I would love, because as listeners know, we're modeling it and would love, um, everyone knows vulnerability is a must for trust. We all say we want trust um, and it takes courage to put yourself out there. And you know you're yeah, okay. loved and respected regardless, so <laughs> we have safe space for you. <laughs> all right, I'll call you on my tough days so you can remind me of how lucky I am. Okay, so I'll do that in a way that's uh, as, as vulnerable as I can be, you know, on this kind of a national uh, audience format. So behind the bio, I'm this. I was raised as the youngest of five children in a pretty strict Italian Catholic household in Detroit. And my parents didn't go to college, but my father worked three jobs. So we had a comfortable middle income life. You know, we were, we were safe, we were loved. It wasn't fancy, but we didn't struggle. So I was very fortunate to be born into that kind of a situation. And as you can imagine, the message we learned was education is important. With education, you can build a better life for yourself. You can build a better life for your children. Sort of this, what some people might call an American dream thing. So education, education was the message I heard. And my older siblings, you know, did go to college. So I was first-generation college, but not really, because my siblings weren't. The problem, though, Molly, was despite hearing the importance of education all the time, I hated school. I hated being in the classroom, going through the academic parts of school. What saved me was all the extracurricular activities and jobs and friends and all that stuff. But in the classroom, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but, you know, you want vulnerability. Here it is. I was bored. I was distracted, but I was mostly just purely lazy. I didn't want to do the work. So somehow I got through my schooling, including high school. And and again, like the extracurriculars saved me. And I, despite having average grades at best and average test scores, I got into a reputable college, not an elite one, reputable one. Same thing happened. Hated the school part the academic part, loved the outside the classroom part in college. You know, unfortunately, I had a a nice record of accomplishment in terms of, you know, sports and being an officer and being in student government, having good jobs. And despite having average grades at best in college, a miracle happened to me. I still got a job offer from one of the hardest companies in the world to get hired by. And I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I talked to my friends and my girlfriend and my family, and I said, can you believe these guys offered me a job? It's fantastic, but I don't want to do this job. You know, as I went through the recruitment process, it just wasn't a good fit for me at all. World-class company, bad fit job for me. But I said, what should I do? And everybody said, well, you you should probably take the job. And I said, yeah, I guess I should, huh? Because even though I don't want to do this, uh, it'd be hard to pass up. And, and I remember people saying, yeah, that's why they call it work, Paul. So uh, take a guess, Molly, how long I lasted on that job before I quit. <laughs> okay, you lasted six weeks. That's an excellent guess. Uh, thank you for uh, being so high in your estimate. I lasted seven days, seven <laughs> ca- calendar days. Um I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. It was really a difficult time for me. Now, look, I was no victim here. I chose this, so I had to deal with it. But I learned a very painful, powerful lesson at age, you know, 21, almost 22. And that is, at least for me, I had to be who I really was. I had to be the authentic me, not who, you know, society expected me to be or my loved ones expected me to be, even though they were super well-intentioned, great people. And uh, that was, like, my first thing that was really powerful in who I am. Then it gets worse for me, actually. So um, I'll just say, uh, in this forum, the uh, girlfriend I mentioned in college, and I had uh, what we thought was a great relationship. We got married. Let's just say we have different values. And the marriage ended, and I learned another uh, really painful and powerful lesson of a personal nature, and that is, you know, what looks great on the outside, what appears to be success on the outside is fun, and it's cool. However, if, if you don't have substance underneath it, what do you have? 
right? And, and I evidently had nothing. So, you know, once I figured that out and got through that, then, you know, what did I do? Well, of course, I went back to work, started working harder. And then, of course, what do you do in your late 20s? You get an MBA. So somehow I talked my way into a reputable business school, not an elite one, off the wait list. And I said, you know, I better actually start doing some work here. Otherwise, I'm not going to make it. So I actually worked hard, got through business school, got a nice job in Chicago, uh, met my now wife. We've been together over 26 years, so I really lucked out there. We are fortunate. We have children. Everything worked out there. And despite all that, by the time I was 30, I felt empty on the inside. And um, I said, you know, I just don't feel like I'm here to try to do a good job at work and try to have a, a good life on paper and have my kids have a better life. I just wanted something different, something more. And I didn't know what it was. So I took some assessments and let's just say I found out I was uh, not utilizing all my capabilities. Okay. And I had some <laughs> ability to do some stuff that I thought might be cooler. And so that gave me the confidence to, um, are you sitting down, Molly? Uh, get a doctorate in higher education. <laughs> so the guy who hates school his whole life decides to get a doctorate in higher education. What's up with that? Well, that could be a whole other conversation. And I wrote my dissertation about executive education. Fast forward, I worked in the education professional development fields on the corporate side. Then I landed this great position at Northwestern University. And now I serve as the director of leadership development for the full-time MBA candidates at the Kellogg School of Management. And I'm a, a full-time faculty member, so I basically teach and coach leadership development. And this is, to me, another miracle. I mean, the fact that I started where I was in the education area, and now I get to do this at a place like Kellogg is, is unbelievable. And the fact that you and I are part of Marshall Goldsmith's group Marshall's mentees, the fact that we got that nice recognition in London, to me, that's another miracle. And I'll take it because, you know, the bottom line for me, my story, or if you prefer, maybe the headline of my story is, I'm a guy who wasted his potential in his youth, and I got a new lease on life, and I took it, and so now I have a vocation, and that is to help everybody I can realize their potential, and I love it. This is not a job for me or a career. It's a vocation. In fact, um, and I don't know if this is right, Molly, maybe you can relate as a coach. It, it's personal to me. If I can't help people realize their potential, I, I do take it personally, and I have to watch that boundary line. So that's who I am. That's the, the person behind the bio, and that's the real me. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> that is fabulous. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Um, and you know, you're you. When I first met you, you're very grounded. You have a lightness, a uh, kind of game on, always ready. And I understand. I ever understand now, right? This never too late. I feel like you're like, okay, I got it now. I got this new lease. And I'm, I'm letting it rip. And so not shocking, the 96 out of 100. I mean, your students, um, what a joy on both sides for you. Well, that's very kind of you. Um, if, if you were to break that down a little bit, we have to acknowledge some reality. So first, the course is called Personal Leadership Insights. So the subject is about them, right? So they're going to like to learn more about themselves and how to have a better life as a leader and in their personal and community lives as well. So the topic is a good thing to start with. And then I'm so fortunate to be a member of this great team of colleagues who designed and teach this course, you know, and they took me under their wing, and I get to deliver it in my own sort of way. Uh, but any, any high ratings are definitely a reflection of this team that I'm part of, and I've had these great mentors at Kellogg. So I've worked hard at it, but I, I want to acknowledge that this is – very much a team thing. Any success I've had 
any any opportunities I've had. Very, very fortunate to be there with these people. Awesome. That's awesome. Appreciate your acknowledgement uh, and the humility that goes with that, as well as taking the credit for when credit's due when you do, you know, I say uh, for a lot of folks, it's about finding your genius. And I got to give you a huge kudos, Paul, for knowing what your genius is. And when you can bring that to the world the way you are, gosh, it's just a gift all the way around. And um, I know we talked once about you're like, oh, we're, I'm, you know, I'm really going on and on. And I was a little bit worried. You're like, no, no, this is all by choice. <laughs> I want to be uh, going on and on. So I think it's awesome. So can we talk a little bit about the, the, the young people? Because, you know, and I've got nieces and nephews from the 9 to 25 range. And I'm, I'm really curious what they're coming in with when you think about the personal looking within, we always talk, you got to lead yourself first before you can lead others. What do you find their struggles are? What are the, the biggest things they're confronting about themselves? Yeah, great question. And um, I have that sort of age range that I see too, like you. For me, it's, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to have children. So now I see teens and 20-year-olds. And then I get to work with these MBA candidates who are typically about 29. So they've been around the block a few times. And both of those groups, that wide age range, to me, they're consumed with trying to figure out how they're going to be fulfilled and happy. And they assume it's by being successful. You know, what you and I might call on paper success. Uh, good job, good income good place to live, and so on and so forth. They're not, like, obsessive and materialistic, but they, they think that's part of the game. And I think they're right. What they, uh, I think, are challenged by is getting past that and getting to this, you know, part of what I love about what you do with Sid Skillfully is being who you really are. And I think they're trying to figure out who they really are and, and not worry about what they look like on uh, Instagram, for example, or not obsess if the company that's their number one choice takes a pass on them, you know, and, and they're, they're trying to figure out how to be fulfilled, not just successful, but because they haven't necessarily had all kinds of deep experiences and deep failures from which to recover. They're making sense of it and they don't know how there's where I try to be helpful, but I have to meet them where they are. Right. I can't come at it as a helper who's almost 57 years old. I have to come at it as a helper who says, I totally get what it's like to be 27 or 37. Let's make sense of that for you and help you figure out who you really are so you can move forward into a place of genuine success so that you're fulfilled, not just, you know, materially comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, kudos. I mean, I'm very optimistic about the next generation. In fact, I regularly tell my niece and nephew, you know, Auntie Molly feels much more relaxed. I'm leaving you such a crappy world, but I know that you're going <laughs> to fix it. <laughs> so I think there's really great, I mean, amazing potential in, in the youth coming up. Um, you know, I have the saying, you know, be your best friend, not your worst enemy. And really, it's a choice. I'm wondering, when you have this class, do you have students who, who don't get it, like they just, they want to, but they, they can't get out of their own way. I'm really wondering if kind of everyone has this nirvana, they're, you meet them where they are, you know, are they all kind of making it up the hill or do you, do you lose one or two? Yeah, some of them are on a tougher path and it is harder for me and others to be helpful. Um, here's a couple examples. Um, some people learn a script in life that says they must become, you know, person A or person B at company one or company two. And the script they learn is that is what it's all about. And I have to honor and respect that, right? If I try to tell them on top of that, you might want to figure out how you're going to be fulfilled. Sometimes I can't get them to see that. And so I have to let go. And it's not my job to change that. I have to meet them where they are. But the other thing where it's sometimes difficult for us to be great helpers is when they also learn this script of, yeah, yeah, I assume I'm good in all these areas. I want you to help me figure out my weaknesses and how to correct them so that I can, you know, fill in the blank, do whatever I want, do anything I want. And I, I think 
we do people a disservice and they do themselves a disservice if we're only focusing on improvements from positions of weakness or development rather than improvements from positions of strength. So that's a challenge with these, these folks. They, they sometimes just can't let go of their weaknesses and do a better job of leveraging their strengths. Oh, I love that. Really well articulated. Of course, everything is a tennis analogy for me. So this is when your backhand <laughs> is just not that great. Okay, you, you don't, you got to get it to a serviceable, you know, level, but really you're going to run around here forehand. And, and I want to encourage folks out there um, to, to the honest assessment um, and your, your own um, sense, your families, your friends, you know, what do you really rock at? What do you not rock at? For the things that you don't rock at, what are the things that you really do have to bolster up? And the other ones, you let it go. You know, crappy at so many things, you don't have enough time. And I'm just like, okay, I'm okay with it. Um, because that, you know, there's lots of other people and other ways I can solve for that. So I, I appreciate your helping people realize that it isn't like the whole of you is perfect. We're never trying to be perfect. Um, and, and giving yourself permission to, to, to know what you're really great at and to, Embrace that your weaknesses are part of who you are, and that's what also makes you great. Yeah, yeah, and great metaphor with the tennis thing. You know, maybe your thing is not to play tennis. Maybe it's actually to pick up a trumpet. And, you know, it's sometimes hard, and you just drop the P word, perfectionism. You know, I feel like I can be a better helper to people because I'm a recovering perfectionist, right? So I can relate to what you just said. I've been there. And I think I can help people make sense of it. And I also realize now that, you know, there is no such thing as perfection and I can help them. If they're open, hopefully realize the same thing. Just yeah. do your best. Do your best. You know, try to do the right thing. And ethics are contextual, right? And then let go, like Marshall teaches us. Yeah. And, yeah, that's uh, yeah, huge. You know, from uh, our friend and colleague, Harry Kramer, in the Marshall Goldsmith 100, who's a great mentor to me, former CEO of Baxter, and Marshall, I learned this, you know, be ethical, do your best, and then let go. And it's hard to let go. At least it is for me. It's, it's hard. Marshall would tell us that it used to be hard for us to let go, Paul, but now we're good at letting go. <laughs> Okay, uh, I want to call. <laughs> I want to call out this. Uh, you you notice these certain scripts, the musts, and the weaknesses that you have to fix. And I just use this term for listeners: the limiting beliefs um, that to be accepted, I need to do X. And the awareness part that you have the limiting belief is huge, huge, huge first step. So encourage folks to think about what are the things that I kind of self-impose. I, we grew up as gymnasts and gymnasts, you know, you're going for perfection. It, there is a score. You, the idea is to be perfect. And let me tell you, when we got to the tennis court, it took us years to be like, you know, whether you hit the shot well, isn't really the point in the match. Did you win the point? Okay. So it's really, you know, trying to, you know, I, I, it seems crazy, but when we realized that, and then when coaches would work with us, realizing that that was our context, help them help us. And so I really encourage folks to, if parents said something to you, and God bless, they thought that they were doing the right thing, but it's not really serving you, understand that those limiting beliefs may have had a purpose, they maybe did serve you, but give yourself permission to re-examine them. I've heard teams say, we can never change. Okay, I got it. Maybe you've really tried over the past five years. What's gone into that that you can never change? And is that really going to be helpful if you guys think that you can never change to move forward? And I think that's a real something that you can take into your own hands. Um, okay, we have to segue uh -huh. because um, I'm so excited about this Lee's Three Habits. Could give me, give us a, Tell us what it is and how you got into that because it's such a simple and powerful way for people to help themselves. Yeah, thanks. So uh, the Lee's Three Habits system is something I created with our friend and colleague, Eddie Rosas, and uh, through the teachings of Marshall Goldsmith. And the least three habit system is basically this. Most people want to be happier. And the best way to get happier is by building stronger relationships with others. And the best way to build stronger relationships with others is by doing a better job of asking, listening, and giving. Asking, listening, and giving. Those are these three habits. And as you say, it's really simple, but it's actually extremely difficult to do, right? Easy to think about, easy to talk about, not easy to do. 
The reason it's not easy to do for leaders under pressure or parents under pressure or good friends who are excited to see their other good friends is most people are pretty focused on themselves. And it's not that they're evil or narcissistic. It's just it's, it's natural to be focused on self. And when we focus too much on ourselves, we have a tendency not to ask, listen, and give. We have a tendency to do the opposite. Tell, talk, and take. And you've been at a party with a gal or a guy who just tells, talks too much, or they're looking to take something from the encounter, you know, what's in it for them, and you've seen it in business and in your communities and in social contexts. So these three habits are trying to get us all to do a better job of asking, listening, and giving. And when we do, we have stronger relationships at work, at home, in our communities, then we are happier. And of course, we're more productive and all that, but I'm focused on happiness and fulfillment. Serve it up. Everyone wants it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You know, everyone everyone wants it. Uh, how many of us are going to do the work it takes sort of change our behaviors, right, into habits? That's the hard part. So say more about this. This gets into your coaching piece. So someone's like, I'm game on, Paul. I want to do the ask, listen, give, not the three T's. I love that, by the way. I got, I'm writing that one down. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you help them put it into action, you know, to identify the existing habit that's not so great, let it go, and create a new one? Yeah, so the approach we took is we created a micro-movie, right, because some people like to learn that way by watching something. So Eddie Rosas, my partner, is an Emmy-winning filmmaker. He won an Emmy for his work on The Simpsons, Right. So I wrote a movie and Eddie animated it. So we created a movie to try to teach people the idea. It's only three minutes long. Then I wrote a handbook. It's a 30-minute read at the most. And if I could have written it shorter, I would have, but I couldn't. So there's a little handbook. Some people like to learn about it through a workshop I do, and we basically get them practicing these three habits of asking, listening, and giving. So that's one way we try to get people to do it. And the bottom line at the end of all this is, you know, I put together this little system informed by the teachings of Marshall Goldsmith. Basically, if you look at asking, listening, and giving like it's a plan every morning, during the day, at night, you just remind yourself to ask, listen, and give like with a screensaver or a 3M post-it note on your mirror or whatever. That keeps it top of mind. Then you go through your day, right? And at the end, you rate your own performance. How well did I ask, listen, and give? It's like giving yourself a performance review every night. And you can put the results in an app if you're an app user, or maybe you like a spreadsheet, or maybe you just journal. And the process of thinking through what you did well and what you could do better and then rating yourself improves the likelihood of success. And then the, the last thing is I encourage people to get a partner like an accountability partner or a peer coaching partner to talk about this, how well they're doing with their asking, listening, and giving at the end of every week. It's just a 10-minute phone call. So if it was you and me, it'd be you know, five minutes for you, five minutes for me. And you talk through, hey, how well did I ask, listening, and give today? As, as a leader, as a friend, as a, a son or daughter, whatever, whatever the context. So again, plan and review your plan every day. Then think and rate your performance every night, and then get on the phone and talk to somebody about it every week. If you do this for a year, you're going to get either extraordinarily better or a little better. And the ideal is that we, again, change our behaviors so that they become habits. That's why it's called these three habits. And it takes work. And it sounds so simple right now. It might even be insulting to some listeners. (laughs) But as you know, it's not easy. It takes work. And we get tired or we get distracted with other priorities or, you know, things aren't that bad. So we kind of get a little lazy and then it doesn't work. I love it. Thank you for making that so actionable for folks. And I'm hoping that folks uh, are taking notes and, and it's a chance to really make your life better. And when your life's better, you can make other people's lives better. Um, it's just a awesome virtuous circle. Um, I'd love to segue because really this thing that I know you're so passionate about is this notion of fulfillment. And 
Um, and we've talked about this a lot. You've got folks who on paper, super senior, maybe even running a company, everyone quote unquote looks up to them. It seems like they're at the top of the mountain, but within that it's not, it's not there. So can you share with us without, you know, divulging folks details, you know, what are the situations that these folks are coming to you with and how, how are you helping them? you know, do some deconstruction, reconstruction, you know, to, to quote our friend Aisha Brussel, the design your life you love, right? That model. We'd love to get a little insight and, uh, and how people can really live meaningfully. Yeah, great question. And I remember you talking about this when we were in London about some of the experiences and the guidance you've given others to do just that. So here's my take on it, my approach as a coach. I try to get people to do three things. First is to understand who they really are today. If they're the CEO of this or that, or they're a rising leader, if they're an entrepreneur, if they're in a not-for-profit context, it matters not. It's just, who am I today at age you know, 35, 45, 55? It's kind of like getting them to tell the story you asked me to tell about myself at the beginning of our show today. And once they understand who they are, there are going to be hints at what's important to them you know, what their true priorities are in life. And that's one way of getting started. Another is we talk to their stakeholders, people around them, people that they lead, people that they live with, to figure out what the perceptions of others are, of who this person is. Where are they strong? Where can they get better? And then, you know, I've got assessments, et cetera. So the bottom line is the first phase is you really understand who you are. And that's hard. And it requires some work and some vulnerability. Once we understand who you are, then we go to the next phase, which is, okay, well, let's figure out who you want to be moving forward and what do you want to get done. And in this kind of coaching, I'm concerned not with just productivity improvements or, you know, a a more happy board of directors. I'm more concerned with, okay, of course you're going to be successful on paper. I want to know about the fulfillment that you just mentioned, Molly, in my approach suggests that on top of the on-paper success that leaders have to deliver, I'm trying to help them get to building stronger relationships and figuring out a deeper purpose. So that's really where I try to focus, stronger relationships, deeper purpose. So the relationships thing we just talked about with Lisa Abbott, that's how you do that. So first, what we try to help them figure out is who in your life do you want to build a better relationship with? Then we walk them through self-discovery about how. The deep purpose thing is a key factor to me because uh, just to be happy with great relationships is, uh, I would say, a start. After that, though, these kinds of folks that we're working with want more, and more is not going to be, you know, higher net worth or another trophy on their shelf. More is this sense of knowing my why and what kind of significant positive impact am I leaving on the world you know, I describe it as a legacy, and I say, uh, I say this, what do you want people to say about you when you're 90? That's your purpose. Now, I don't care what they really say about you at your funeral or your birthday party at that point in life, because they have to say nice things. They have to say nice things at your birthday party and your funeral. That's how these things work, right? At least in the Western world. And then um, what I care about is what they say about you behind your back. So that's your true legacy, and that's your ultimate purpose. You know, what mark did you make? And, you know, this is going to be something that you find energizing and inspirational to you and others. So that's the purpose part. That's a little harder. And uh, then once we help people figure out where they want to go in life in terms of better relationships, deeper purpose, then we got to help them get a practical plan for getting there. And that's just standard coaching stuff you know, figure out what and how with a system for staying on track and an accountability mechanism and so forth. So that's what we're trying to do. That's my bias as a helper for fulfillment coaching. It is so fabulous. I'm smiling so big because what's so awesome is hearing you in your, in your, what brings you the most purpose and is most fulfilling to you. And you can just feel it over the airways. You're like, this is what lights you up. And I really wish for all listeners the ability to find something, the thing, a number of things 
that really light you up. Um, and it, it really changes our whole perspective on life. Um, it does take some work. It's a do the work, as Paul mentioned. Um, but I think we're hearing, gosh, it's just huge, huge dividends um, when, when we do that. Um, I want to just make sure I don't forget, because I have in the past. Is it lees3habits.com first? I just want to make sure we give some reference sites um, if people want to oh. get more information, Paul. Yeah, yeah, thanks. The, the Lee's Three Habits system is... Lee's, L-E-E-S, three, the number three, and the word habits. Lee's3habits.com. Okay, fantastic. Um, so I obviously would be remiss. We always have to have the Paul Asks Molly, your say it skillfully question so that <laughs> everyone realizes that from the lazy boy to the PH, the, the uh, doctorate in education, <laughs> that you still have some things that maybe you would want to be a little bit more skillful on, just a little. <laughs> yeah, do you have another half an hour for me to ask you all of them? Um, so yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, and maybe you can relate to this too, Molly, because of all the coaching and advisement you do as well. Um, I sometimes have trouble saying this skillfully. Um, when, a, when a client partner asks, me to solve their problem for them or tell them what to do or, you know, they think I'm going to do the work for them, like all that stuff. Like it's, it's about, it's about helping them self-discover. So how do you, how do you take the idea of coaching and communicate it to a client partner who doesn't get it? Like, they think you're going to give them all the answers and do all the work. Like, how do you tell them they have to do it and, and we're just their helpers? <laughs> Without being snarky. So that's a great one. I think it's a really great one for the folks, um, clients who may not have quite figured out the I own what I do part of the equation. Um, I would encourage two things, which it can be kind of like, what are you, are you kidding me? Like, really? I'm going to be your, like, I'm supposed to do it for you. So losing, like letting it go, any of those sentiments because those aren't going to be useful even though they might be valid so i would encourage inhaling the notion of curiosity and and the notion of partnership and that might be saying and let's just say sally sally listen just just do a checkpoint we're in this partnership here right and i'm here to help you be who you want to be right and and just kind of start a conversation oh yeah yeah i get that great okay i have a question for you sally on a scale of one to ten, to what extent, to what extent do you think I'm accountable for your success? So a question like that, and a number thing is great. And she, so, you know, gosh, anything above a two is is kind of like. So let's just say she's the person, and so they may just get it. Well, what are you saying? I, I said I'm just wondering. To what extent, right, we're both accountable for our part. I've, I've articulated what my role is. I'd love to hear you articulate what your role is. And, and, and so, the, the, right, the number might be 10. Oh, so here I am. What am I? <laughs> like I'm for hire and, you know, you can make it light. And so then I would always encourage folks after they, they may be saying something, so what's your top takeaway, Sally? And just land so – you know, so, well, let me try this. Line. So what I'm hearing is I'm hearing you own your success. So that might give you a number of layers if someone's really not a little bit pushing back on it. How does that land for you, Paul? Spot on. Um, let me see if I've interpreted the guidance correctly. So idea one is you let them know this is a partnership. I'm helping you be who you want to be. Two, so... To what extent am I accountable for your success in this partnership, which is telling? And then three, so, hey, so what are you taking away from this, Ms. Client, Mr. Client? And then they, they have, like, a, a better way to own their own future. Yeah, hopefully. And I think there's always this notion of if all else fails, oh, I'm really frustrated because I feel like I'm failing you. So, again, owning it, not pushing it on the other person. They're not getting it. Obviously, I, the coach, am not helping you see that. And it's frustrating for me because I feel like I, I, you know, I can't be the one who's kind of doing it for you. So I don't know. What do we do? You know, what, 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 they look so, you know, 
despondent. You're like, well, good, we, we got to find a way around this. And so I think that's this mutual accountability. Um, so yeah. we can Thank go you. on and on. And on. <laughs> it's like, my pleasure. So do you, you know, from our little chat here, any, any top takeaway from you about yourself, about anything um, that you'd like to share with listeners? Yeah, it, it helps to be a guest and to talk through this. Um, not only hopefully are we serving the listeners, but it, it helps the person who's talking it out. I, I would say, to me, you said something like, you can tell because of our partnership and our friendship that this energizes me and, and it's my sweet spot, right? I, I have to say, though, because of you, and this happens to me in classrooms as well, maybe it happens to you in boardrooms, you make that happen for me. And those we serve can bring us up or, or keep us not so energized. And so to me, I've done a lot of these kinds of guests, uh, appearances, whatever these things are called, podcasts, and whatever. And because of you, I think I came out uh, more of who I am. So thank you. Appreciate you, Paul. It's been my privilege, my honor. Um, I really am grateful for your friendship, for your taking all this time with us. Uh, most of all, thank you for being part of the solution, and I can't wait to see you whenever that can happen. Me too, Molly. I can't wait. Thank you so much. This was really fun. <laughs> Take good care. Ciao, Paul. Bye. Okay. Uh, so inspiring. I have a backlog now of scenarios that I've been waiting to do over the last few weeks. So... Uh, let me start with one uh, that a friend shared actually on a whole group scenario around the, I would say, uh, racial equity, equality topic. And this person was literally at the bank and <clears throat> in line and observed, I guess this person was fourth in line. The first person went up and it was a black person. And the, and the teller's first question was, do you have an account here? Literally, the first question was, do you have an account here? And my friend is thinking, does that person have an account here? Are you kidding me? So the transaction happens because, of course, the person did have the account there. And then it happened to be three Caucasian people went up and he listened very intently. The first question was not, do you have an account here? So he gets up there and he, he said something. He wasn't sure, but he was caught a little bit off guard. And he didn't, he, he didn't know exactly how to respond. So I just wanted to offer... In these moments, and assuming positive intent that someone really is not, not trying to be evil or make people feel bad, but these are deep-seated, ingrained habits, and it might be something like this to the, to the teller. Hi there. You know, I overheard and observed something about the interaction with folks um, that you just had, because I've been waiting in line here, that may not have been coming across the way you intended could, could I share that with you, please, before we do our transaction? So you're asking permission, right? Um, and I think it just might be an observation. You know, I noticed that with the, the, the black person that you said X, but that, that wasn't the same question for the following. Were you aware of it? No, not a judging or otherwise kind of incriminating, poking tone. And I'm not saying it may not be warranted. Okay. I'm just saying that's not useful. So you're creating a lightness and then, and then see what the person says. And if you have to you say, look, I, I'm sure you're a very loving person. I'm just sharing this because if I were in your shoes, I would really hope that someone would care enough to point it out and say something to me. So offer that to folks for any situation where you may be caught a bit off guard. You feel that your role, right, to be proactive in speaking out for others and advocating for others who may not have the voice that, you know, find words, something like that. Okay, so that's the first one. I hope that's helpful. The next topic came up quite a bit with jobs, and I appreciate for a lot of folks that it, it's tough, and the pandemic situation is, is steady state here for a while. And someone reached out and said, look, I was officially laid off. The entire team was laid off, so it's not like a personal sort of, uh, thing. Um, they had reached out to connections on LinkedIn, but hadn't um, heard back and wanted my thoughts on how to get introductions to target companies and all. Um, so I think at this point in time, everyone's very compassionate. You know, those who have jobs are very fortunate and, and feel blessed to have them and, and empathetic for those who might be struggling to get them. I do think that there's, uh, you have to put yourself in other people's shoes 
and you have to think about what's um, really going to be useful. Um, I have had people reach out. They have no idea who they are. You have no background. And it's pretty hard. You know, if you need to take the, the long road of building relationship, having people understand who you are, know what you can do, it's not really fair or appropriate just to ask for someone to recommend if they don't have um, experience with you. It's it just there's lack of credibility on all fronts here for the employers, for you, for the person. And so I would sway away from that. The extent that you have people that you know, who know you, who can vouch for you, I would use those kind of personal introductions. And I I can appreciate it's frustrating um, to reach out. Uh, Just know that the process of reaching out, figuring out how to carry yourself, to create the connection is a learning experience. I know it may not seem that fun at the time, but any salesperson you know, t- will tell you that failure is what they do most, right? The, most people don't buy. So the ability to build resilience, to be able to figure out how to keep yourself up and then to keep trying new things, I think is a real um, learning opportunity. So I hope that helps from the job folks. I wanted to turn attention to the college interns because that has definitely been... Um, a topic, and I, a family member out in the in the Tampa area, sent this article. I think in the Tampa Times by a Lindley Browning, and I just want to share some tips for our college students. Um, so if they're really keen for summer internships, you know, if you persevere um, and be really proactive, give yourself your best shot at. It. So I'm going to cover a few of the tips Lindley shared, and then some thoughts from me about how you can show up. Um, if they, if you had an internship pulled on LinkedIn. The guidance was noted as canceled, right? So that it was pulled. People will know that it's from COVID as opposed to not including it. Um, And from your own standpoint, being open to a much broader range of experiences. Um, And Lindley uh, provided a whole bunch of websites. So I'm going to share some. There are some career services websites geared to college students. One is parkerdewey.com, something called micro internships. So they can be short. Uh, paid in, uh, stints and um, five to 40 hours, all sorts of employers. Cov, like COVID, covintern.com and internships.com are sites as well. There's also some big job banks, and the federal government has a clearinghouse of job banks at USA, uh, usajobs.com. Uh, Vault and Simply Hired and Indeed, I N D E E D.com are also sites. And then apparently if you go on to LinkedIn and search summer internship, you know, in the U.S., a lot of those jobs do come up. Um, Now to segue, networking is really key. So whether it's your college career office, you're reaching out to, you know, LinkedIn connections, parents, friends, right? Number one, number one, the job is not who you are. You are a good human being. You are worthy. I repeat, the job is not who you are. So don't take this personally. This situation that we're in is affecting lots and lots and lots of folks. Second thing is, you know, if you're going to go for this, try to put out no regrets. Do your best effort. Really do what you can. Um, and you, you can't fret about things that you couldn't do or couldn't control. And this will help you to sleep well at night. And as I said before, know that the process itself of reaching out, learning to connect to people, being more articulate is a terrific learning experience, right? And I've seen young people who, the ones who have practiced more, you know, done more letters, written more emails, talked to people, guess what? They get better. My third thing is just doing enough research when you are going to call folks, have a little bit of background, show that you went, took a step that actually said, I showed interest, get a little bit of insight, some key questions genned up um, before you go in there. Um, And then this fourth thing is as everyone knows, how you show up. You may be frustrated. You may be a little bit feeling insecure, feeling a little weak. I get that. Try to exhale that and realize you're a good person. You have a lot of skills. You're hardworking. You're energetic. You're curious. Think about how you want to come across as someone who'd be a great addition to any team. They'd be privileged to have you. And then as Paul mentioned, I just want to lean into the fact it is about connecting. Right, helping people create a personal connection and you know that they want to help you and make it easy for them to help you. So those are just a few tips there. Um, I will wrap <clears throat> with my thought for the week. And it's one of my favorite, favorite poems. I Googled to see if it's actually by Wal- uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson because it's largely attributed to him, but all I could get was in 1966 and Landers attributed it to him. And it's called Success to laugh often and much, 
to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. I offer it to you to reaffirm or perhaps reconsider um, what success is to you. Um, I'm grateful for my friend Paul in joining us. I think in times that we're in right now, this is a question that's, that may be top of mind for folks. Um, and I think hopefully we gave you some um, ideas of what you can concretely, actionably do to help yourself. Um, his ask, listen, give is such a great alternative to tell, talk, take. Um, so I hope that is something that uh, you'll think about and consider going forward. And I thank you today for tuning in. It's a wrap. Please be part of the solution and kindly share the show. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. Thank you.